we're just two crazy guys looking to have a good time here on V'ger, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I'm some unfortunate late season budget constraints. Your co-host, Peter. Peter, I think that we owe our listeners an urgent breaking update of how your weekend at the Artemis Con went. I I have not yet heard the story. I will be hearing it for the first time along with our listeners. I'm very excited. Oh boy. Uh, so quick recap, what is Artemis? Artemis is a starship bridge simulator that is like 1980s war games in terms of graphic capability. And the whole point of Artemis is supposed to be to invite your friends over. You hook a computer up to the TV, you get some super low end laptops together. You, you get this game going. Each of the six computers has a role. So one computer turns into con the helm. Uh, the other is uh, security, engineering, communications, science, and then you can have a captain. Oh, and tactical, of course. And then the computer hooked up to the TV becomes your main view screen. So each position requires all of the other positions to function correctly. And if you don't have good communication, you're not going to work well. And you run through these little tactical simulations or pre-scripted missions where you're just flying around scanning ships and mostly fighting the bad guys. And I first played back in 2011. I had to go and check my fucking Gmail and see what the purchase receipt was when I bought it before it was even on Steam. I've had a lot of fun with it over the years. And it's cool because it kind of seems original series e, but they never really specify with any specific type of language or promotional materials like the serial numbers have been scratched off, essentially. Yeah, but I mean, you could just as easily pretend it's Battlestar Galactica or pretend it's uh, Babylon 5 or, or whatever right. sci-fi property. Use the terminology of your choice for the role play of being in these positions. And that was always my attraction to the game. Right. It, it, spoiler alert, the game's fucking awesome. And if you have any ability to get a couple friends together, it is definitely worth it. There's a lot of games out there that have copied the formula. Most notably is the Star Trek Bridge Simulator that Ubisoft made for the Quest and other VR platforms, which has since been abandoned and is in a pretty bad state of disrepair. Cannot even buy it. Uh, not on the Quest platform, I don't think. Or maybe it's not on PC. I don't know, whatever. It, it's hard to, to do, and it's real buggy. And this game has always been a passion project, and that was clear. And you get a lot of cool community stuff and support from all that. So uh, it's good. It appealed to me because, you know, coming from our LARP background, I saw this thing. I was like, well, fuck, let's. Let's get some Star Trek shirts and let's go full immersion with this bitch. Absolutely. It's We're like, talking about doing like the way team missions with tasers and, and pain. <laughs> you do a way team mission means you just go next door and do a home invasion. Yeah, go, up the, <laughs> go up to the speedway and get some fucking 40 ounce uh, malt liquors or what have you. So anyways, I have not played this game in forever because as an adult, it is impossible to make time to do anything with my friends. Uh, if there's more than two people involved and Artemis would take a fair amount of pre-planning and, and whatever. So and then you factor in COVID, everything else. Uh, so then I found out about this convention that was taking place. And I couldn't even tell you how I found out. Their marketing's not very good. 
and I put it on the calendar and I kind of mentioned it to my wife because the guy who makes the game lives up in Cleveland. And I was like, oh, damn, the place we're doing this convention is like literally 15 minutes from my parents' house. I could go up there. I can dump the kids off on them. And if it sucks ass, I can bail. And if it's cool, then, you know, I can have a convention experience because it's been years since I've had one of those. And then I completely forgot about this fucking thing. And it wasn't until my wife's like, well, you're going back up to visit your mom again next week. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Up. She's like, oh, your Star Trek thing. And I was like, fuck. So then your I started trying to get a- your, your, your mom is the is the is the uh, the real away team leader with oh, the kids. No, my wife was. She's the one that you know, I shared the calendar with. And I was like, well, your, I- your wife's just the MVP trying to make sure you get your full immersion. Oh, I'm trying to like find out if this thing's even going on. And I'm trying to communicate with people and I'm not hearing anything. I'm like, well, that's not good. And then uh, I was like, well, fuck it. We'll go up. We'll try. Worst thing that happens. I see my mom, whatever. Go up there. I dump the kids off. I head in. I'm wearing my Riza. How fitting my Riza t-shirt. Nice. Being myself very clever. Star Trek joke guy, whatever. Mm-hmm. I go to this hotel and uh, I forget what it was. A holiday Inn or a, what's the other H1? Hilton, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's off in this corporate park. I'm going up and I see utility trucks all over the place. I was like, tell me this fucking hotel doesn't have power where they're doing a big video game convention. <laughs> sure enough, hotel doesn't have it. I'm like, is this thing even still going? I don't even know who to contact. The banquet center that's attached does. I go in, I get there about 12 o'clock. I walk in and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, all right, there's going to be one of two types of people here. There's going to be some real unique convention star trek convention people here i i I love that you took a second to find the right word there peter very political how gentle it's very gentle oh yeah i like that uh or maybe there's gonna be some cool young dudes you know people (laughs) oh yeah that's obviously who will be there playing a 14 year old video game or whatever (laughs) you never know right Mm -hmm. yeah I, i i walk into this thing they're on a lunch break and it is definitely column a and i'm like oh boy what did i just get into here and it's been a while since I've been to a convention and my my fortitude's low. And I'm like, oh, my God, this I got to bail. This is this is not going to be my crowd. You're saying, hey, maybe we should go in there and uh, plug the podcast a little bit. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you who our target demographic is. But I know none of the people I see there were going to be anywhere near uh, <laughs> a of people I would enjoy our take on things. Yeah, if they're not accepting of, of fun criticism, are they? Yeah, so I uh, I wait around until the lunch breaks over and people start coming back in. I'm like, fuck it. Let me get one mission and do one run on this, at least to justify my drive and the amount of time I've spent waiting around on this thing. If you cut any criticism I have about the the average Joe that I encountered at this thing. And sometimes with gaming conventions, you just gotta have to understand, like, I'm a nerd. I'm doing the nerd hobby. I'm going to be around other nerds. And and that's that's how I'm not I'm not going to a fucking Sports Illustrated launch party. Right. Exactly. You, you cut any of that type of criticism out. Dude, it was so fucking cool. The shit they were doing with this game. Because <laughs> right, because these guys are into it. So they're probably like they have the deep tech. I dude. And I, I divorce myself from like my. My elitism, I think that's the the right mm-hmm. way. That's what I've been accused yeah. of in gaming circles. My elitism. I saw some guys. I'm, I'm trying to crew up, right? And most people, they come down with a bridge. 
And that means that they've brought their own collection of computers and it's like little troops, if you'll call them that. And they're doing cool shit, man. There's costuming and each crew is costumed different. And they'll like dress their bridges up with like different accoutrements. Some of these guys are like uh, civil engineers, electrical engineers. So they've got all sorts of like shit that the the program is is putting off as a side effect becomes special effects like red alert sirens and all this other stuff going off. I saw some guys in some real crisp white naval uniforms with red highlights and the fucking uh, the Terran Empire nice patch on the side. <laughs> they were Canadian. Oh. I was like. Oh fuck! Well, if you guys are 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 repping evil, then can I get me, in on this? Yeah, yeah, man. I I think we'll merge. So uh, I was on the Oshawa, the TSN, the Terran Space Navy Oshawa. <laughs> it's I, I love it. Okay, there was a Nomad, there was a Normandy, there was the Normandy. Maybe I'll throw some of these pictures up I took. Which again, if you just look at these pictures, you're gonna say this looks like a flea market. What the hell's going on? But like, if you understand what's really going on, this guy custom mapped all these sliders buttons like it looks like legit like a hybrid between original series and like mass effect lighting real cool so so what they're doing i thought it was just going to be a bunch of people playing individual games no this whole thing's fucking networked the game can run uh each server can support six ships they've got a galaxy map and they're running a war campaign. So there's all this lore. None Holy of which I know. Shit. <laughs> like, this is intense. So they're all in the same map. They, there's like PVP. No, potential. not even the same map. It's it's not PVP. So, so they're running six servers. Each server is a separate sector of space. Okay. And then in the middle of the room, they've got six galaxy maps set up. And it's like, you know, LED lighting and stuff. And then they've got 3D printed ship models all over the place. There's an admiralty that was selected out of the, uh, the the player base. So the admiralty is deciding what ships are going to be in what sectors on what missions. And what's happening is like the limitation on the engine right now is there's a six ship maximum per server and each server is its own map layout. So you would uh, like what would happen was you'd be going to war with whatever you would deplete the resources on your ship, fire off all your torpedoes, use all your energy. And then you have to fly into the, uh, the next star base, one sector over to refill. So you would fly to the edge of the map. And then the captain of your ship would have to run up to the game masters with a pink slip that represented your ship. <laughs> then everybody would log off the server, log on to the server to the south. Pick up whatever their, their ship placeholder is there, fly, do the resupply, get jumped, whatever. Fly back in and the GMs, this, this whole thing's being uh, game mastered the storylines being like actually babysat by dudes over in the server room, they'd resupply your ship, like reset the stats and you'd, you'd go on. Right. So because this is, this is intense, go on. Yeah. Each, each. And I'm sorry for anybody who could give a shit. No, no, me. no. Anyone who's fucking listening to the show knows that this is cool. Let's just be real. Continue. <laughs> so any occupied space that there's an active enemy presence, not generating money. But if you have a stranglehold on the sector, now that sector is generating money for you. And as ships get blown up, the Admiralty has to pick what they're going to replace it with. And the ships have a cost value. So there's like this war currency. And that's why everybody's not, you know, flying around in like the heavy duty battle cruisers. You got people scraping by and scouts and uh, fucking mine layers and stuff. Right. So now take the bitchy nerd element 
right? Of course. Yeah. I get on the Oshawa. These guys, these Terran dudes, and they've got like 3D printed cutlasses, like bagels. <laughs> They're all in. They're all in on evil Space Navy. Well, they came down from Ontario, right? And I'm like, right. all right, cool. So, so I think the furthest person was like San Francisco. So again, we we our former hobby of LARP, like we had people all over the world. No, this sure. That's what happened. I'm used to it, but it's still good to see it out there too. And uh, a side note, so, and I'm, I'm sure none of these people are ever going to hear this or whatever, but I've put on a lot of conventions. I've played in a lot of conventions. I understand like what goes in and how easy it is just to say, no, we're not going to bother doing that. So there are all these fan-made movies playing in the background, like these media centers, right? Mm-hmm. With like production quality, like, there's like ha ha bad and then there's like oof bad, right? And this is yeah, like cringy bad, yeah. Bad. But it's there and it's fleshing out the story that the past five conventions have kind of like crafted. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, it's it's so easy just to not do that and let you know whatever you just have it be a fucking piece of paper. Being able to like kind of watch along as bad as the acting is, like it becomes endearing and I'm I'm buying into it, right? Because I like this this stuff. And like after big battles and stuff that we're going through, they had pre-recorded uh news bursts that would go out to like flesh the story. So that was really cool. So they're doing like all this, this cool stuff that I'm just eating up with a spoon. And then you take my favorite passion, which is bitchy bureaucracy, right? Cause now I come into this and the dudes from the Oshawa, which I'm, I'm getting crewed up on are already hot. Cause they had a nice warship. No, they were in a mine layer and they were deploying a minefield per the directive of the Admiralty. And then these guys over in the Normandy who have like the good battle cruiser come flying through their firing line, trigger all the mines, blow up all the ships in the area. They lose a ton of money. And then these guys are livid that they give the Normandy another battle cruiser and stick these guys in like some fucking little scout poopy poop ship. Of course. So they're stink about that. And then, the, like I said, when you're moving the ships between sectors, there's these pink slips that are like deeds. But that's mm-hmm. like what they're I don't know. So someone hand wrote a bunch of stuff on one of them. It wasn't our captain. Nobody knows who did it, but like they got in trouble. So there's like this rabid fight between some weirdo <laughs> admiral and a walker <laughs> who looks like George R.R. R. Martin, basically. OK. And then like this, this Terran captain. But he's uh, Canadian, so he's like real nice. But I could tell you this. And I'm like, man, these guys are like getting fucking hot over some handwriting on a pink slip. Like, this is the stuff I'm here for. It's like the, the, the real, the real the trauma. You could smelt oh, yeah. it out. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we're stuck in these little dinky ships. I don't know who's cock blocking us out of the, the good ships, but like, we're just wrecking ass. And uh I will definitely go back to the next one. And the whole time we're playing too, I'm like, man, I could get away with murder here. Like, it, like <laughs> if I got my crew together and oh, we God. brought our brand of bullshit and I'm like talking to my friends at, uh, if you got the black guard together to do, no, fuck that, dude. we're, we're going to go in. I think it's gonna be me, James, maybe Nate. We're going to do, uh, I think we're going to say that we're convicts that were let out. <laughs> You're a pure ship. <laughs> no, <laughs> a colony of, uh, cannibals. That we're let out. <laughs> your reavers and that we were gonna like anytime like a ship surrenders get on like the inner ship comms and be like 
real pushy, reminding people that like terms of our uh, our our participation in this was exclusive salvage on organic components. We get a bunch of like Halloween novelty, like severed arms and skulls, and just uh, erosion our little bridge up as much as possible. So it just absolutely like a have, a stu- have a stew of un- unknown uh, origin. Blood smears all over those pink slips. Because like some of the, it wasn't exclusively. Oh, and so this was like what really sold me on it was they were using live action components, right? Mm-hmm. There was, a, I don't know, some fucking the. Avorians, Argosians, I, I don't know, you, you know me in names. Anyways, there was a piece of cord that disintegrated and a friendly faction turned hostile on us across the galaxy, except for one star base deep in our territory turned neutral instead of hostile. So they were going to investigate it. They sent our ship in to go and speak with the princess of whatever was supposed to be our ship doing the negotiations. Then we were just supposed to be security. Then we were just going to be securing the adjacent sector or so they were told and they got back from lunch and they're like, no, you're doing the actual diplomacy. And the guy's like, well, I didn't read the whole packet. I don't, <laughs> I don't know the lore. And they're like, well, you better do something good. Cause if you, I didn't get the brief. <laughs> Cause <laughs> if you, yeah, if you, if you do good on the diplomacy with this, uh, it's going to bring an entire neutral faction to, to friendly and this NPC faction is going to like fight alongside. So we went in person and, and met with a staff member that was in costume and like negotiated it. And I was like, you throw a little bit of live action stuff in like, okay. That, and I'm fucking when you, sold. When you went to do the away mission to do the diplomacy, did you all bring Glocks and like immediately they point? had their 3d printed sabers and the oh, guy had, okay. yeah, that's the guy right. had his hand on it ready to go. Right. So it's these two dudes wearing like these crisp white, nice, uh, Terran empire fucking naval uniforms. And I'm there in flip flops and a fucking rise a t-shirt. <laughs> And they're like, well, it just, you know, play secure. So I'm like back there doing my best. I like smoldering, catching this lady. I had a, I had a fucking blast. This thing went all day. I, I started playing like 12. I think they started at seven. I was there till 11 o'clock when we finally like won the war. And then also too, it's like the video game components. So like they're throwing world eaters at people and like we're cheesing the system to like get them to chase us and go over these minefields or drop. I don't know. Just a lot of fun. I had a fucking blast. Uh, I was not ready. It was like Warhammer level campaign narrative and 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 like GM manipulation. I had a fucking blast. Really good time. It sounds yeah. awesome. It I, was. That sounds like some shit I would enjoy. Yeah, good times. Is is Strange New Worlds also a good time? Joe, I have a confession to make. What's that? I, as a long term Star Trek fan, cannot tell you what i want out of the star trek show anymore i i don't know hmm. um like i'm sitting there and i already talked about episode one episode two was fucking miserable yeah, i don't know I who out there in our listener base is like keen on this thing but like i Real figured if nothing else my wife would would be into it maybe so i didn't like tell her hey this is the bad one or anything we're going through and like about the point where she's singing a song to communicate with the egg. And my wife's like, this feels like someone in high school won a contest and was able to submit a script. That's exactly what I thought when I saw it. Exactly. 
Like my five-year-old daughter really enjoyed that part. Um, but that episode was trash. It's the most cartoonishly juvenile writing I think I've ever seen. And I had to ask myself why, if you're really trying to buy back traditional audience, why is this episode number two? Episode three is the one where we find out that number one is a mutant. Correct. Not to be confused with Mystique. This is a genetically engineered (laughs) mutant. (laughs) Here's my observations, and I'm going to keep going on it, but... I, the biggest criticism that I'm going to levy against Strange New Worlds is the pacing is awful. They are trying to fit so much into each episode that they are just racing through several different plot threads at the speed of light. They are making colossal leaps of logic and they're solving ridiculous plot with even more ridiculous solutions to the point where I'm not even bothering to follow it in my head. It's just, I'm, I'm watching pretty things on the screen and then the breakneck speed of the plot will come to a screeching halt as we deploy whatever the tragic backstory of the week is going to be. Yeah. And the, everyone has a tragic backstory too. And Lon has two of them. (laughs) Everybody has a tragic backstory and this is not the Cerritos of lower decks. And this is not, Voyager, uh, you know, a ship being sent out on a bounty hunting mission. This is Enterprise. This is the flagship of the Federation. And you're telling me that nobody figured out that uh, the doctor has his uh, Victor Freeze, Mr. Freeze plot line going in the background with his daughter caught in in, in the pattern buffer. Yeah, and that, the, the, that one is the most egregious to me. That and the fact they gave Lon two tragic backstories. Which one's Lon? The security chief. Dude, I get such drummer vibes off of her uh, from Expanse, which, again, I know you don't know. But every time I see her, I'm like, oh, fuck, that's a drummer from Expanse. It's not. Yeah, she seems like she's got a lot of baggage. Uh, Uhura, they even managed. Not only is she a child prodigy, but also, you know, my parents died in a space car accident. Pike's obviously got some pretty cool stuff going on. Yeah, like like, his tragic backstory is actually the only one that I feel like is earned right like there's something really cool about that one there's it's not a tragic backstory it's a tragic future to which he is privy and yes the real tragedy is spock's sideburns (laughs) here i thought his hair was so much better in strange new world his hair is much better but these like sharpie squiggle obtinibrit tentacles going down the side of his face Ridiculous. I notice also that Pike uh, does not come up with any ideas on his own. Everything is something someone else suggested. And then he goes, I like that. Let's do it, which is cool to see some of that leadership. But also he may as well be Dr. Samuel Beckett, like Scott Bakula leapt into his body, doesn't know the first thing about pirating a starship and has just figured out the code. Like, if I'm just nice and approachable, everybody will do my job for me. But the sets look great. Um, I do enjoy the upbeat nature. Uh, maybe four, five, I, episodes four, five, and six is is a much better stretch. You get the sub hunt episode, then you get the shore leave episode, and then uh, the one after that is when Pike does a little bit more dealing with his tragic future. Um, and you get an interesting story with 
him having to interface with a very strange alien culture. Plot twist is a little obvious, but still neat. Um, I will continue on it. And again, it's interesting to look at the first three episodes here, the criticisms I have for it. And I think it's because we've already had a taste of Pike that I'm not in my mind processing this as season one of a show. He's already established Spock and number one to a degree as well. And you already know what the enterprise is. It's, you're just meeting a bunch of new crew members. Um, But to think of like comparing that to Voyager or enterprise, like I'm aware of how unfair I'm being to them. Like, how do you know a show by your third episode? I think there's an inborn suspicion that we have because Star Trek had been so thoroughly abused by Kurtzman and company for years up to this point that I should you shouldn't beat yourself up for looking at something that's, you know, for the first time in a long time watchable and be like, I don't know, it's still a little off because it is. It's not perfect. I when I gave it a B, it was because there's some episodes were clear A's and some episodes were cleared fucking C minuses, you know, and it's just balanced out that in the end I felt like it was above average, but it didn't find like a nice median, you know, like spot to be in. It was either just very good or very kind of shit. Well, that's what's really interested me has been my wife's reaction. All of this. A lot of new Trek, I think, has been designed for a different viewership base. And again, yeah, she and, and before you tell me. Before you tell me, I don't know if I ever mentioned it direct to you directly, but when I was watching it, I even said to Stevie, like, I don't know if Peter would like it, but I'm pretty sure Casey would. And I would be and I'm interested for what you're about to say about what her reaction is. Season one of Discovery, you know, we like we were both into it. Her and that's why I continued watching into like season two was because she had such a good reaction to season one until season two just got the stuff we would complain about, like she was picking up on too. And I'm like, all right, it's not just like the nerd in me that this is there's common. She bailed on Picard super early on. Um, but yeah, like so far, strange new worlds, it, it hasn't clicked. And like I said, like her observation on, uh, you know, just how goofy and bad the script had been. I was like, all right, well, it, it's, it's interesting seeing these outside viewpoints. And not just being, you know, jaded old Trekker me. Well, as jaded old Trekkers, it is our obligation 27 minutes into this episode to start reviewing an episode of Star Trek. Fortunately, it's a pretty simple one. So we'll probably finish this up in an hour still. Half a page of notes. Yeah. (laughs) What do we review? Season one, episode 25. Two days. Two nights. This is the second to last episode of the season, right? It is. And this is what they're doing. Listen, it's not bad. It's just cheap as shit. <laughs> you pointed out last week, this feels like they've been super duper cheap, very inexpensive. And sure enough, here in the memory alpha, we find out that uh, we interpreted correctly what was going on. They were out of money, probably because they spent it all on the premiere. And so they couldn't do very much with this whole episode. So we had like four sets. And that was it. And they were not extravagant. No, one set's primary feature is actually a uh, patio uh, dinette set that my father-in-law has. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think every father-in-law has to own that by by statute. Yeah. The frosted glass table inlaid into a steel frame. 
This is uh, first aired the 15th of May, 2002. Teleplay by Chris Black. Story by Rick Berman and Bran Braga. Directed by Old Wharf himself, Michael Dorn. They stick the TNG cast directors. No, I take that back. This Roxanne Dawson also got a poopy one. They're not giving them, they're not treating them well. I'm almost wondering if uh, there were regrets that so many of the former cast members had gotten into directing and like they try to sabotage it to get these guys to dip out. Like we need to bring in people who have more seasoned television directing experience, not the uplifted uh, series regulars that we, we gave uh, opportunities to. I, I don't understand it. I think this episode is all fine. I mean, I, it's it's not great, but it has enough going on continuity wise. It's pretty funny. Uh, this would I, be a fine episode if we didn't have the track record bringing us to this point that we have had. If this came in after a couple pretty good episodes. Sure, but just going through a a trench of dog shit. And even if I'm to give you, um, it was Clancy of Arabia. What was that one? Desert, Desert Crossing. Crossing. Yeah. Even if I'm to just focus in on the good parts of that, we're still not coming out of the strongest pedigree of episodes. So I agree. This this isn't bad, but I get what you're saying. Is that we we had we have to have something firm to recover from the cum monster, and we've just kind of had medium rather than something actually good after that, like five episodes of just misery. And so it's hard to like see it as something, you know, better than really what it is. Well, let's talk for a second because I'm thinking on the car ride in about this episode. And then I'm thinking about season one as a whole, and this will be really a better conversation for the rip, but off the top of my head, I cannot tell you what my favorite episode this season has been. And I can't say that like, oh, it's it's neck and neck between two or three episodes. Like, I I can't tell you any episode that I was really fond of. I think maybe I can say, uh, what was the one with the Vulcan Explorers? Uh, Fusion. Fusion. Like, there was some interesting stuff in that one that's that's fresh in my memory. And past that, man, like, I'll shoot from the hip. Like, what's your favorite episode this season? For me, it would be between the Andorian incident and Broken Bow. Like, the premiere, very good. Set the tone, did a lot correct. Probably one of the best premieres of Star Trek, period. And then the Andorian incident, you know, you had Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, we're adding more something interesting going on in the galaxy. Humans kind of get in the middle of this fight between Andorians and Vulcans. What Vulcans about? What are the Andorians about? We we internally start the Archer just loves getting head wounds thing. Then, mm. um, so it would be between the two of them. I think Andorian incident be- popped up in my mind as well, and even that is like so heavily riddled with sophomore nonsense that I can't even say that was a great episode. That did a lot of cool shit. There was a lot of cool world building in there. Um, it's it's not it's not great. And I can sit here and I can probably go through season one of Voyager and, and pull some real gems out of there. Uh, it's certainly not Eye of the Needle. Or, gosh, like 
Think of Jatrell for a second, because that's a season one episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jatrell. With uh, strong parallels to Dean Stockwell's Puzzle Dungeon. And Jatrell was an episode that wasn't among our favorites of the season. That, you know, we criticized that the episode sort of like posed Neelix in this weird position where he had to be redeemed for not wanting to go fight in a war, you know, and he had like this personal, I, you know, I didn't sign up. I was a coward. I went AWOL and like, then all of my people died. Like it was his fucking fault or something. And it was like, that didn't quite pay off. And then, you know, the weakest shit award was born from the end of it. So it was like very awkwardly written, you know, almost famously. So 200 episodes later, I would say for us. And yet, as much as that was not super warmly received on our part and it had a lot of major flaws, it's probably better than two thirds of the episodes of this series that we've watched so far. Right. I like, put it way higher than two thirds. You know, like I, I can maybe pick out five or six episodes of enterprise that I would say were at or above Chitrell. Well, let's put that on the to-do list for the season one rip for, yeah. Uh, Enterprises to compare and contrast Enterprise season one to Voyager season one, especially when we're picking our favorite and our and the worst episodes, because these are two properties that come from the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Their parents are at the same income level and nobody has any excuses because same fucking is, people are making it. Same, same people, people making it. Peak Star Trek power. Mm-hmm. Money's there. Writing talent should have been there and really compare these things. I believe that by the end, Enterprise will be good. I'm seeing it already connect dots in ways that Voyager refused to. And and the payoffs, specifically in this episode, they they touch on some cool. Yeah, uh, it's like, and imagine how good this show can be when it figures itself out, right? Which it ultimately does. Right. So I believe it'll get there. But for season one of something that should have had the table set with the finest china and the best silverware, this has just been a fucking garbage season. And it is inexcusable. And I don't blame anybody out there listening who said, I gave up on Enterprise season one. You can see why this series, this season of Star Trek, this one specifically killed Star Trek on broadcast television. Like, This show never recovered from its first season, no matter how good it got. And it did get dramatically better. But when you come out of the gate with something this bad, you don't come back from that. And sure enough, Star Trek died for a generation on television. And you can probably say it was season one of Enterprise's fault. And you can say it's justified, too. Yeah. And yeah, having watched it. Yeah. It's pretty fucking bad. This, not terrible. I laughed. And let's get into those laughs, because guess what? Our boys finally made it to planet Fucktown. They're here. <laughs> they're on Ryza. And they're so excited that they're getting back into the shuttle the right way. They're going down through the nose cones again. None yeah. of this side warrant business. They're mm-hmm. doing things the right way to party it up. Uh, we find out that the crew cannot all enjoy shore leave. So they've had to draw straws and the people who get the good straws uh, get to go get hand jobs down on the surface and everybody else has to hang her up on the ship and hope 
that they don't get snared into another come monster attack. The entire main cast, of course, aside from DePaul and Phlox, happen to be the people who got the straws. Uh, we get a little uh, quick little introduction here. You know, Archer feels a little self-conscious, but, you know, gets talked into going anyway. And, you know, the the main cast is all on a shuttlecraft going down. Um, Phlox is apparently going to hibernate because, as he noted, his, his species does not sleep. Uh, really? The, when the, they... same, the same way that uh, that that humans do. They have to go through. That annual explains hibernate. it. Now that you say that is that's how he lives with himself for his terrible decisions to condemn an entire planet to super cancer. He yeah, you know, he, he's only has to face the moral reckoning of that once a year. And, the, and he does that through getting drugged. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's as we found out in, in this episode, he is having terrible nightmares in this time. But, you know, it's limited. So he's willing to just accept it. God, if they had him wake up from his hibernation cycle earlier crying about the the menox or whatever they are the volcarians was that what they were i was just remember them as the sensible sweaters <laughs> that man that might have been the best moment of star trek <laughs> for us but the most gratifying for you and i able to put that above best of both worlds I think we I would have at least ranked it above the time that Naomi Wildman mentioned that Tuvix happened. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was also amazing. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, this is the last time also we see Crewman Cutler. So rest mm. in peace, the actress. Um, this is her final appearance. We kind of resist shame because she's, you know, she's got a lot of charm and and the character is very vibrant in her hands. And I could see why the creators intended to do more with her in the second season you know just get a taste of like this is somebody that's just got a different vibe and and has that sort of plucky can-do attitude but also kind of sarcastic like oh yeah this could be a recurring character for sure like i like i like color and this is it (laughs) this is unfortunately the end of the road rough man it is rough you know rest in peace i mean sometimes speaking of rough jonathan archer's civilian wardrobe purchased exclusively from Costco. <laughs> you listen, he's wearing peak performance gear, which is to say the simplest things possible. He's got this fucking nylon poet shirt, rain poncho thing. It's not a good look. Uh, no. Nobody's got a good look except for maybe Hoshi. He got uh trip wearing his gilligan's island hawaiian shirt well let's let's hold off for a second here before we go into their let's talk about what they go down to the planet to do archer has rented a villa he's gonna chill on his beautiful villa he's gonna read a book or two just hang out relax uh hoshi's like i just want to like talk to people and learn some languages the old-fashioned way now you have to use my translator because that's like my fucking job and I'm getting real tired of relying on the computer to do it for me, which is like, okay, cool. Mayweather's like, I'm going to climb rocks because rocks are like my personality, which is to say featureless. <laughs> and then you've got fucking Malcolm Reed and Trip Tucker. And holy who have, shit. Who have both, because of their bungling around on uh, Shuttle Pod 1, have discovered that they are both hoe bags. <laughs> 
They like to fuck around. And they are like, we are going to go to a nightclub and score with some alien chicks. It is literally their their goal in life. And I don't know what it is about Reed, but he comes off as so fucking creepy. When he like talks about like his intentions of like, yes, we're gonna go, we're gonna go to the nightclub and we're gonna see if we can get lucky. You know, Trip's got that southern charm, you know, it's like a disarming. But fucking Reed, you're like, holy shit, do not let this man near your drinks. Like, uh, <laughs> the vibe is not good here. The vibe is weird. And, like, Hoshi, like, talks shit to them. Like, really? This is it? This is, you're just so obsessed with fucking you two? Holy crap. Well, we've been out in space for ten months, and we're due. I get it. I, I, get, I it. get it, but it's... I do like that, like, everyone's trying to, like, be idealistic, except for these two who are like, no, we're taking it to fuck town. This is the planet for it. You feel like talking about space economy? Not yet. But like the outfits are interesting because you were going to about to say that like Reed and Trip are in their very best Night at the Roxbury gear <laughs> when they show up to that fucking nightclub, right? Mm-hmm. Like straight out of the sketch. Uh, like you said, Archer's in the most sensible middle-aged man clothing possible. He's got more beige on than I knew could be included in one outfit. We don't see much of Mayweather because he just is in his rock climbing gear. Thank God. And then like Hoshi is in like stereotypical like beach wear, you know, kind of like crop top with like a, you know, like wraparound skirt for a bathing suit or whatever the fuck she's First time on. we've seen her with her hair down, I think. Yeah, and, like, she looks like she's appropriately garbed for a beach vacation. Like, she could be in Hilton Head. With mm-hmm. that look, you know what I mean? She's the only one that's... Oh, I, I take that back. It's also Archer's age-appropriate love interest. It's also similarly garbed to Hoshi. Yeah, her. <laughs> He's very excited about this. So they go down. We pick up on uh, Archer coming into his little bungalow or whatever it is. How many... What is it? Organas? How many Horgana icons were you able to count this episode? Because it was on all the liquor barrels. It was like the light switch back plates. Is it Horgana yeah, or Horgoth? Uh, Horgon, I believe. Horgon, yeah. And yeah, I thought this was supposed to be like a covert thing. And you like, because it was like a proclamation of your sexual prowess, correct? Mm-hmm. No, this thing treats it like um, Kenner toy lines treat the bat symbol and just... Any Batman-related toy or vehicle is just plastered in iconography. Well, the show is very horny, so it kind of makes sense in a weird way, right? Maybe, maybe, yeah. Yeah, or, you know, maybe that's just uh, they were able to clean up the brand a little bit by the time Jean-Luc rolled around there, and this is uh, them trying to figure things out. Early Ryza was rife with uh, inappropriate uses of the Horgon and crime. So Tucker and Reed get to the nightclub and they are like two, two sexy guys looking for a sexy time. Uh, although they are delicately playing the game of no homo, trying to make sure they don't hit on any dudes. Oh yeah. There was even, it was very 2000. Even a bar about pronouns in there too. If only they would have known the political. 20 years later, the danger they were going to hit if they would make those jokes. Holy Mm -hmm. shit. Lucky for them. This isn't playing anywhere. Otherwise we look at a series cancellation. And we see uh, 
Hoshi like at dinner and she's striking up conversations with a couple risins and she's like, let's language. talk about these fucking budget cuts on this episode. Like none of the sets really stood out as especially asked. Like you go back to the Skeevians and how bad town square was. Was it wasn't prime directives? What was that episode called? Or was it prime directives? I forget the name of the Skeevians episode. I just remember but we really as- shit on like how bad the, the town square where everything was taking place was like none of the sets are really that level of shitty. And there's a couple map paintings they throw in. I don't know how much of this is like Michael or Dorn's. digital backgrounds. I don't know if some of this might have been green. Screen. It looks beautiful. I yeah, I love me a good tropical vista. But the fucking costuming in this to the point you're going to tell me that Ryzen's are regular humans not even with like a little prosthetic piece of shit not even the fucking sharpie squiggles of desert crossing we resorted to a fucking sticker yeah am i supposed to believe that that sticker is like a a a bone ridge or something organic or are we just going to call it what it is and that's just a circular sticker with a doodle on it pressed into between it people looked embarrassing it looked like some shit you'd see in a fan movie you know not even that it looks like they were like all right all the people are gonna be risings we're gonna put a sticker on your head so the guy is going through doing cg you know to put like dripping lava on here or when costuming comes through they're gonna know the people to grab to to drag out like holy fuck hoshi is speaking to these sticker people and has <laughs> learned has learned their language with which they are very impressed and then like some suave Italian alien. <laughs> I don't know. It's like you, if you've ever seen a movie about going on a European vacation or been on a European vacation yourself, this is that guy. He shows up. He starts talking to Hoshi and he's got some fucking complicated ass language. So they're hitting it off. And then we see the captain in his villa. Uh, and she he sees below a a dog another dog because he's brought porthos porthos the ugliest dog to ever be in star trek i think i mean if you're gonna pick a dog to be a weird alien dog a chinese crested is the correct choice which is what that dog is he's not an attractive animal right but that is what they look like and of course its owner is as mentioned an age-appropriate love interest for jonathan archer a woman we will find out is named Keela. Keela will come across Archer's path a few times. She doesn't exactly come on strong, but uh, about the 16th or so time they interact, she starts warming up to him. Keela gives him uh, the, his, her dog winds up on his porch somehow, probably because it's got like fucking wings and fangs or some no, shit. No, it's clearly that this is all a big ruse, so I'm well, going sure, to go ahead and assume that she just tossed picked it up that there. fucking dog up and like Olympic discus spun around <laughs> and launched that motherfucker. But maybe this species of like, like, alien dog is like made of rubber or something, so it survived. Maybe her mission is so important that inside of her bedroom it's like a puppy mill and there's like dozens of these dogs just <laughs> identical and she had to throw like six or seven <laughs> before, at his balcony one before she finally landed one. Like had Archer looked down below his bungalow, he'd just see like down in the rocks by the beach, just 
a graveyard of dead dogs. Yeah, but somehow her dog gets up there. And then so that gives her an excuse to be like, hello, look at me. I'm in my sexy, you know, beach wear. Let's take some small talk, but I'll play a little hard to get and tell you to go to this, you know, boat to enjoy seafood, which actually kind of sounded dope. Yeah, sounds lovely. I <laughs> love to see the scene. No, no, you're going to get 37 on that one, bud. That's right. I no fucking money for that. Three, seven, skip. So real quick, because now he's eating dinner, everything else. Enterprise shows up at Ryza. Archer's got what looks like a very nice, read expensive bungalow. These guys are down drinking on the surface. Ah, uh, yes, the space economy thing. I did promise you this. So does uh, do they just have like a an American Express black card on the ship. <laughs> and in a rare turn of events, Archer calls Admiral Force and asks for permission before he does something and says, hey, it's been 10 months. Can I go get my dudes wet here or what? And he's like, yeah, put it on the company expense. I mean, that yeah, has they, to be it, right? Right. Rise is not just letting everybody in and this beautiful paradise free of charge. One assumes there was a trade of some kind or like maybe Ryza, you know, because they, they're, they're exports tourism, right? Like Ryza is a pleasure planet. Ryza mm-hmm. is a place you go to enjoy yourself. Okay. Well, if I'm going to be a planet that exists to do this, I need two things, imports of raw materials to make the machine work the way I need it to work. And I need protection. I need, I need, Friendly species who understand the value of having a place like this who are willing to come to my defense, right? Yeah, you don't want the space spider people coming and cocooning and pumping juices out of you. Want to be the one pumping juices out of visitors, not those goddamn space spiders. Unless, unless they want to, they want to pay to have a villa. <laughs> We're not above that. So, what I, I suspect you could assume in the background is maybe like a contact via long range communication. Say, hey. We would like to visit. And if you're the rising authorities and there's like this new planet and they've got ships and they go warp five and they're like, mm, you know what? Let's extend an olive branch. You're like, yeah, sure. We can hook you up with some, you know, hook you up with like an expense account. You know what? We haven't yeah, actually read our emails rooms. yet about all the war crimes that uh, Enterprise is engaged in. We don't know about you guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a fair shake. I like your idea that maybe Ryza knows what's up and they they smell something bigger um archer will even tell blonde lady this is the furthest out that humans have ever been they are the new like mm-hmm. most people don't even know what they are and and that's probably impressive to them right like well if you guys have made it out this far why not make a good first impression right the local rising government's probably like god look at these guys like they don't even wear stupid stickers on their head like these might be geniuses. Yeah. Wow. And then, you know, maybe they make a trade for like, hey, you, you know, send us some warp plasma or something like that. Some nominal amount of like goods exchange. We've got to, some to um, pretty kinky uh, districts. Like if you could maybe put us in contact with like copious amounts of cum. Yeah. Do you, do you know of of any local cum monsters? We have people <laughs> who are into that. <laughs> like oh a whole planet of cum monsters 
that's what we'll we have needed. to go nuke that. We've actually been looking for that place. We heard about it. It's a fierce rival of Ryza, and now you could give us the coordinates. We will go. The Ryzen battle fleet will ride to glory. We will nuke the cum planet from orbit, so they will never compete with us again. And the Ryzen pleasure cartel will rest secure as the premier cum destination of the Alpha Quadrant. But uh, you know, we don't. They, the episode spends. Not a second trying to explore this. That would have been fucking sweet. I actually kind of understand why, though, because the economics of Star Trek is its worst fucking trait, right? Right up there with uh, the 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 situations regarding World War Three. Yes. Yeah. Like it's a mess and it's probably way too hard to try and make sense of. And you'd spend the whole fucking episode having to backtrack around how it works. And then you've got all of this lore and you don't know how much you're contradicting. So how much of that do you want to fucking go into when you could just not talk about it? Right? Like, well, you say that. how we're not going to say, but then if I go back to, uh, Vox, Sola or detained, or... which one was Oasis? Oh, that was a fucking good waste of Odo. I don't know. I think there's a couple episodes here. I'd be willing to drop off the map for a good economics episode, but no, I, I get it. And, and I, I support the sentiment you have that some things are, I can't blame the writers for not wanting to step in that pile of dog shit. Speaking of piles of dog shit, unfortunately for trip and for Reed, uh, when they finally uh, seem to attract the attention of two uh, comely lasses, uh, here in uh, Planet Nightclub, uh, they are in for a rude awakening. Um, Super hot. Normally to see women this attractive in, in Trek, we involve some sort of Ferengi hustler. Or um, calisthenics being done by, you know, the True. Counselor Troy and, and Dr. Crusher. Sure. But yeah, these guys would be, these two would be perfectly at home in uh, some sort of a Ferengi episode. So. Under boob for days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trip and uh, Reed, they're talking. I'll agree with you. Uh, nothing Reed does this episode isn't at all endearing. And I'll be curious to see where they go with Reed in season two, because season one has not been kind to him. Uh, they finally start. I forget who lays out the seeds, but they're like, hey, there's underground gardens. You should go check them out with us. And they're like, yeah, let's go. And they take them down into the basement of the bar. And then what I thought was going to be like, hey, uh, here's our (laughs) what kind of space money do you guys use? What valuables do you have? And I was like, oh, wow, they've been talking to hookers. How funny. (laughs) No thieves. (laughs) Thieves. Who they're interested in what kind of money they have, to which they are very upset when they find out they don't have any at all. And so they just stun them and tie them up and take their clothes and fuck off. These guys kind of look like uh, Remans, I thought. Like super ugly dudes. There was another moment of no homo, of course, when they're like, Oh no, we were hitting on dudes the entire time. Mm. And it's 2002. Mm-hmm. They just they can't get away from it. Nope. Uh, nor can they get away with any opportunity to strip the main crew down to their underwear and tie them up. Yeah, I'm going to say that's a fetish for somebody is uh, people tied up in their underwear specifically. Back to back. 
again. There's a pull in between them this time, but still back to back. Yeah, guess that no homo's going out the window. Uh, we do uh, have a D plot, and the D plot is that Mayweather falls off the rocks. How good would it have been if Mayweather would have died in this episode? From he's <laughs> like, and uh, he fell off the rocks. He's dead. Oh no, 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 no! He fell off the rocks. Then gets a painkiller that has an allergic reaction, and then he and dies horribly. <laughs> so he falls off the rocks. He wants to get out of his this alien hospital. Gets a shuttlecraft sent down for him. When he comes back up, Cutler's there and starts scanning him. Like, why the fuck did you ask? For, like, don't think we could, you know, fix your freaking busted leg or whatever. Zero like, sympathy out of uh, DePaul, by the way. Yeah. Like, he's like, have you ever been in an alien hospital? And DePaul says, yes, in San Francisco. You fuck. <laughs> like, what am I? <laughs> like, come on, man. Cutler discovers uh, he's not breathing well. He's having an allergic reaction to something. And as they treat him in the sick bay, it's getting worse. And they're like, we need to wake up Flux. I am underqualified to deal with a genuine medical emergency. And that means we've got to wake up the boss, which they have a protocol for. But they're like, oh, I don't fucking know about this. So Flux wants to be zonked out for 48 hours. And he says... If you need to, wake me up, but make sure you really need to. And it's interesting, too, because it's Cutler pushing back on the idea of waking Phlox up. Or no, no, I'm sorry. It's DePaul that's mm-hmm. hesitant to wake up Phlox. And finally yeah, Cutler's- it's Cutler. Like, Cutler's the one who's like, I'm not sure about this. And DePaul's like, are you sure you got the dosage right? Like, tries to put it on her. She's like, all right, fine. Fuck. <laughs> that's how that scene went. I think it's the initial desire to wake up flocks to Paul's hesitant on. And then by that point she's resolved herself. But, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm getting flashes of the EMH and Tom Paris. And is it smart to be the furthest out? I mean, for all intents and purposes, enterprise is Voyager. They are far, far, far from home. I don't know, man. I think, uh, having a second doctor would not have been the worst idea. And I keep thinking about like, who was the doctor of Enterprise supposed to be? And how salty is he that he just got like fucking flicked out of the place that he was supposed to have making history in the books of humanity by a mass murdering doctor. Mm-hmm. 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 But the, they play that up for laughs, right? That he, they wake him up and he's like in the middle of some kind of dream and he's delirious. You know, the, the, the whole bit plays pretty well where he's like slowly trying to figure out what's going on and Cutler and T'Pol have to like guide him. <laughs> For all intents and purposes, he's like drunk or high. Yeah. And Mayweather's laying on the table very afraid that his life now rests in the hands of someone who is calling everybody captain and does not know how to turn on a, a scanner. scanner and is trying to put out orders to go to other solar systems to collect fresh space lugs. How many times did you laugh? The initial like scene in the nightclub because it was so gratuitous. Flox is like waking up in, in his horrid dream because I forgot that was a thing, right? Where he's like, mm-hmm. I don't care what it tastes like. Like he's just like clearly having some sort of very vivid dream. <laughs> and he like comes out of it still talking about it. Those were the two genuine laughs I got out of the episode. So you disagree with Rick Berman and as describing it as very funny. I think he thinks it was very funny. 
Years later, Bran Braga characterized this episode as a boring one, about which he rhetorically asked, who cares? Well, Bran, I'm with you. None, none of this humor fucking hit in the right place for me. Maybe the shape-shifting moment where they get... And that's only because I thought they were going to be hookers. Yeah, a lot of this episode's played up for laughs. The gay panic stuff is also really funny, but it's like in retrospect. So, uh, burning through these plot lines pretty quick here. Reed and Trip spend their entire trip tied up in the booze cellar of a nightclub and eventually have to shame walk themselves back to the shuttle landing zone in their underwear. It's this uh, reeking of booze that they use to like a bottle to cut up uh, the ropes that you never see mm-hmm. and uh, strike out completely as contrasted by Hoshi, who yes. did not go there looking for love and instead spends a uh, night two in uh, her new Italian friends bungalow. I mean, the hot, the, the flirty energy continues in their next scene and he makes a move on her and she's receptive. And so he's like, all right, let's, let's do this, bud. You've earned it. <laughs> Stood up. You, you stayed up all night speaking your, your space Italian at me. We're going to bang now. Let's go. You know, uh, we already talked about, uh, unfortunately, Mayweather did not die. So no, that's going to leave. He was successfully treated by drunk vlogs. Boo. And that leaves us with Archer. So mm-hmm. Archer and the blonde lady who I initially heavily criticized for being an awful actress and boring and stiff and rigid, which I will afford the episode. The immersion that she acts weird and bad because it is a person. It's a double agent who is actually acting and that is not their forte in attempt to manipulate Jonathan Archer. Archer will tell her a lot about himself. They go on a couple dates. They're hanging out. They're spending a lot of time. And then finally, Archer's like, you know, I don't know anything about you. You know all the stuff about me, but you haven't said a single thing about you. And then she lays on the table. Well, I don't want to sour the mood. And he's like, oh, come on. And she's like, yeah, my entire family died at the hands of the Suluban. And Archer's like, ooh. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Maybe you were right. I didn't want to ask this question. Archer's like, oh, shit. I hope it wasn't any of those people I just sprung out of the pokey. That would be real awkward. The backstory we end up getting is that, you know, she's got this information. It feels very specific. She knows a lot. Archer's very hesitant to talk to her about things. And then he ends up surreptitiously scanning her with his tricorder. And she gets real pushy. She does. She wants to know more. She brings up the Suleban thing. Once they kind of talk about it and then uh, Archer's busting out the wine because it looks like he's trying to get a little. He's trying to get lucky. He's trying to he's trying to score. And she just completely loses her cool. And she's like, tell me what you know about the Suluban. Do you know that they take their orders from the future and the cabal? Where are their helixes? Like. Complete zeros natural one on that diplomacy check or so sorry, this, what did he gather information or diplomacy? gather information bluff maybe 
regardless, critical critical failure. Archer is drawn into naturally trying to figure out who the fuck she is. And that's when you get a little bit of interesting backstory, which is she is not uh, the species she appears to be, which I guess was kind of trill-like. With like what spots. I was thinking at first, too, like cheetah, and, yeah, snake stripes on her. And, but she's actually Tandaran, which may sound familiar to you because that's the same species as Dean Stockwell, the people who are at war with the Sulaban. And that suddenly tracks very closely with what we heard from the Tandarans about how they're a bunch of dangerous psychos who are out there fucking marauding in the galaxy, which is kind of what she's relating of like. Everyone knows these things because the fucking Sulaban are out there fucking causing havoc and murdering people everywhere. And that is why, of course, she is deeply interested in what Jonathan Archer has to say, because he is uh, a wanted man by the Tandarans after doing the jailbreak. Funny choices are being made here. Archer calls up to Enterprise and says, I've got bioscans. I need you to run them through the database. Confirm my suspicions. So theoretically to Paul should know that uh, the captain is now being like CIA'd by the Tandarans, which I would think maybe there should have been some security people hiding in the closet or other common sense, suitable, reasonable things when your fucking captain, as you just put it, is now basically a fucking war criminal mm-hmm. who uh, let a prison break and openly attack the Tandarans. None of that's there. Uh, Archer has her come back from whatever. And, and basically says, I know you're a Tandaran. Did Colonel Grat, you know, he name checks Dean Stockwell. Did he send you, uh, you know, and, and basically calls her story bullshit, which I'm sure we will find out or, should be inferred that like probably this lady's family did really die. They don't establish if she's a government agent or if she is just a, uh, yeah, she could be a civilian. She could be private investigator. She could be an agent of the state. They do not specify any of that. I would have thought that she would have been a little bit more hostile or there would have been some venom because by the end, like he goes to like kind of grab her hand and be like, Hey, the jig is up. And then she like hits him with the, poison claw attack that knocks him down she was lucky he wasn't lucky wasn't one of the fucking kmart klingons poison tip attacks that fucking oh, those Kazon ones yeah his ass would have been gone no plot armor is going to protect you from that so she doesn't really seem to bear him any ill will and if anything she seems to still Regretful. like him and regret yeah. him. so i don't think that she is maybe aware of what he has done to the government detainment facility Okay, so you're saying he may not be a wanted man so much as just happens happen to be a good source of information. I would say that seems unlikely given how she happened to be right next to his villa. I'm saying that I don't think she is necessarily a government agent. Do they ever bring her up again? No. So this is a one and done. That's one very interesting done. for Enterprise, which has had a really good track record. Like when she when they name check Grat and you find out that she's a Tandaran again, you can take shitty episodes like detainment and detainments had two payoffs. Now, one was in Desert Crossing when Clancy Brown found or, you know, sought out Archer because of his actions. It was another good callback here. But she's clearly on a mission. I think it's her own agenda I, my head cannon on her 
Her family's rich. Her family did, in fact, die to a Suluban terrorist attack, a, a Kabbalah terrorist attack, and that she's on her own revenge plot line and has sought out um, Archer. And even though Archer should be a enemy or a wanted individual by the Tendaran government, uh, she does not care about that. He's just someone with information and she has sought him out. And over the course of flirting, saw that he's not the shittiest person and, and feels bad about what she's doing. Because I think if he was a wanted man and she did have access to just drag him off and fly him would, back. Yeah, in. she would have fucking done it, right? There's so, no reason not to. That's sad that we never really find out more about her. Not that she's an especially compelling character, but it is. It's an interesting note of continuity that felt very earned and correct, right? Like, yeah, we already know that Archer's known for the jailbreak thanks to last week. So, like, now, of course, the counterparty to the jailbreak was interested more in what the fuck was going on. You know, like, there's a lot there that made a lot of sense. I like the idea of things happening in stories that are not main plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the main plot of the detention makes facility it, makes, and whatever makes it, feel, makes it feel lived in. Right. Just, you know. you know, you're playing Skyrim and you get a note in the mail, you know, fuck you. I still remember you. You killed my husband. I hope you rot in hell. Like, oh, yeah, that happened. Or, this, or the emails that you get when you're playing Mass Effect from like yeah. little, little side characters from the prior. This was game. a very like, hey, I heard you're alive. You know, great. I'm glad to hear it. Commander Shepard, you know, thanks so much for helping me out two games ago. You that's know? exactly what I want to call this. It's a it's a Mass Effect moment where there is some sort of ongoing effects felt ripples after things happen. It's not the clean reset of Voyager where even the most detrimental or major changes are immediately forgotten in the next episode. So uh, the real shocker in this episode is by the end, everybody gets together. I get Hoshi keeping her mouth shut that she hooked up like sure. Uh, But the chief engineer and the security chief not mentioning a goddamn thing about how they were both gunned down in the basement of a nightclub or that Archer was poisoned and interrogated by Tendaran, Mm -hmm. potentially Tendaran uh, agents to anybody that (laughs) I guess you're supposed to accept that no one wanted to like out that they had an embarrassing vacation that like, only Hoshi, freshly fucked, is you know got a smile on her face, right? Like I get if it's every, like, that's the joke. Right. Everyone's like, you they, and I, we're off on vacation at Riza, and I get so drunk that I pass out in the cabin, and piss myself. I get that. That's just a little secret that stays between you and me. Um, yeah, we both got fucking shot in the chest. <laughs> I got interrogated by someone who. We conducted a fucking ill-advised jailbreak. In fact, last week, I had people fucking shooting artillery at me, trying to kill me because of that thing. Hey, continuing consequences. Uh, I almost died, and this lady fucking <laughs> drugged me. I had less of an adverse reaction to being drugged, knocked out from a fucking stab attack than Mayweather got from medicine. But hey, Hoshi, Hoshi yeah, nailed some Ita- space Italian guy. So hey, what yeah. happens on Ryza stays on Ryza, even if it's like fucking Guantanamo Bay shit. Whatever. <laughs> ba bum bum ba Roll the what credits. Are watch- what are we watching next week, Peter? 
this fucking TV show, man. This is killing me. <laughs> Season one, episode 26, Shockwave, part one. Mm-hmm. Is this a two-parter? Uh, it is a season finale cliffhanger. Oh, imagine mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Imagine that. Starfleet orders Enterprise to return home when the crew seemingly causes the destruction of an alien planet. However, a visit from crewman Daniels leads Archer to believe that the disaster was the plot of one of the factions from the temporal Cold War. If only Jonathan Archer had used one of the five previous opportunities to learn more about the temporal war and the players and be more prepared for this stuff. No, instead he had to be mad about internment camps, Peter. That's much more important. Yes. But nothing is more important to us than our fans. Thank you for listening to V'ger, please. Heinous trip at Warp 5. We'll see you again next week.